Man, that is so entrenched, isn't it? 23 years of afternoons, right? All right, let me try one more time. This morning, bright and early, let's turn in our Bibles to, what do you guys think? Mark. Mark. There we go. Mark chapter 12 is, uh, they're having kind of a second go, if you will. This is Wednesday of of Passover week, but the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life on planet Earth in living in a human form, all God, all man, which is hard for us to comprehend. But we see him in action again today. Uh, Wednesday being this day, he's just a very short time being on the cross. Uh, Contextually, he's cleaned the temple. Monday, he was crowned a king, if you will, sort of in its own, almost like I would call a false coronation. It was just a he, he arranged for it so that literally he could be on a cross by Friday. If you think about that for a moment, he set it up to speed it along because he needed to be on the cross by God's timing to be the Passover lamb on that coming day. He set it up so that they sped up the, the frequency of getting rid of him. He, he set it up. That was Monday. On Tuesday, he went and cleaned the temple. That's his first, uh, first item of, of business. I mean, what do you think the, the Israelites wanted? Oh, let's take out Rome. No, he said, let's take out the temple. Let's take out the people that are, I shouldn't have said it that way. Let's take out the people that have control of God's house of prayer. It's enough. Enough's enough. And this isn't the first time. At the beginning of his ministry, which marked the debut, if you will, uh, he cleaned it the first time. He's done it again last week, just a few days before his crucifixion. And now here's Wednesday, this day. There's a lot of stuff going on. But he came back to the temple and he's teaching walking around, and I don't know why I point over here to this board. There's nothing there. But for whatever reason, do you guys remember how large the temple area is? It's how many acres? 35 acres. I'm just blown away by that, the size and scale of that. And it becomes such a commerce center that literally the bottom end of the, I'm saying the bottom because the closest to the last gates, they just opened those gates and really it was a thoroughfare for for business and and maneuvering for a a byway of, of commerce. I mean, the whole city went through the temple, if you can imagine. And here's Jesus. He looked at that the night before, after he'd been crowned king. Uh, that, you know, what do, what do we call it? Um, Hosanna in the highest. Uh, what, his triumphal entry. What's the other word? Isn't there another name for it? I can't think of it. Uh, it doesn't matter. At any rate, uh, he's, he's taking this all in. doesn't say anything. And the next morning he comes in and he takes care of business. You talk about anybody that says my, that Jesus is a weakling, he's a wimp, they don't know him very well. Can you imagine what would have went on in a very short time? He cleaned the house, if you will. Wednesday, we find him back here. Now we're going to be looking at this. How many people were excited about Jesus taking form, uh, taking, taking control of the temple? Uh, probably all of the people, but nobody else in the sense of charge. Today we find the second group that is really trying to diminish him, trying to take him out. They want him dead now. Uh, last week, no, I'm sorry, last week we were at the fairgrounds. We were, we were ta- what, what did we talk about last week? Any, anybody remember Fear. That's right. Fear. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just a second. I'll get it. Um, <laughs> maybe I won't get it. Okay. I'm, th- I'm thinking about it. That's why I'm not getting it. Um, promotes. Pr- oh, promises promote. God's promises promotes prayer. Praise. And prayer promotes power. Is actually two different little snippets, if you will. Um, so here we are, Wednesday. Now, the, you can imagine how much 
sleeplessness was taking place in the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin camp. Remember that word? I'm going to write that on the board. It's, it's not necessarily used that much, and yet it was really the basis, Sanhedrin. I'm going to have to find a different pen, aren't I? Um, okay, that's a possibility. Let's do this one. Um, that's, a ruling, that's a ruling body of, of, of Israelites. How many, uh, let's do a quick quiz. Uh, I think I've told you over the last several weeks, but how many were in the Sanhedrin? What was the number of those in the body of the Sanhedrin? Excellent. I must not have told you loud enough. Uh, let me try this again. Sanhedrin. Uh, there was, there's really literally 70 members, okay? Um, and that's an even number, so that's a challenge. Well, that's why the high priest, uh, Caiaphas or Annas, would have been the two uh, high priests. Caiaphas was the, um, the son-in-law of Annas, who was, he was kind of, he ran the temple. This, it was actually called the Bazaar of Annas. That's who is in charge of this temple and all of the wealth. All of the, econ- the economic development, shall we say, within that temple was a group called the Sadducees, we're going to be talking about them today because the Sanhedrin, they finally had enough. In fact, I don't know why, but did I tell you? We should probably read Mark first, shouldn't we? Let's do that. Man, there's a lot of stuff roaming in my mind right now. So let's go to Mark chapter 12 and let's pop in. Uh, last week they were talking about taxes, the Herodians who were the political adventurers, shall we say, in the group. But they failed miserably. And now in verse 18, Mark chapter 12, let's read it. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die and leaves his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife, raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. The second took her and died, neither left he any seed. And the third likewise, and the seven had her and left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall be shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not therefore you I'm sorry, do you not therefore err, because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly err. May God add a special blessing reading of his word. Let's just, let's just pause for prayer before we go any further. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to now surround ourselves, our minds, everything that we are, yielding ourselves to you and especially to the word, Father, as we'll gain insights, we'll gain recognition even to a larger degree of how great you are. Thank you for your supremacy in every area imaginable. Your sovereignty is amazing. The deity of Jesus Christ is mind-blowing as it was to these people on this particular day. Father, thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid. Amazing. Beyond belief. No deserving part on any side of of humankind. And yet he chose to fulfill your will, which was decided before the foundation of the world, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. But Father, we're here now to learn, to soak, to gain perspective, but ultimately to praise and worship you for all that you've done and accomplished. We would ask that the Holy Spirit exclusively and singularly would be our teacher today. We would be receptive and yielding 
to what you have for us. Thank you for what you'll do. In advance, we thank you for the truth that will be revealed and stored within our hearts. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so here we are. Let me just pull it back together. So last week, uh, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we looked at the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, there was the larger group of you, if you will, of the San. Now the Sanhedrin was made up of uh, primarily Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes. Now, interesting, on this week, Passion Week, all three of those groups are going to come at Jesus. They're going to take, they're going to try to take him out. Last time we were together here, uh, the Pharisees gave it the old, they gave it a shot. Now, what they did is they, ro- they roped in, if you will, the Herodians. Now, the Herodians would be like a Democrat or a Republican, very political, um, and they were very much tied into the, the dynasty of the, Her- of, the, of the Herod family. They were, re- were kind of receiving favors for being tied together with that whole political dynasty. Uh, they, they really weren't viewed very well by the people. But the purpose of this whole thing, now, again, keeping in mind, the Pharisees and the Herodians weren't exactly buddies either. And if, if there's truth be known, the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually hated one another. They were so diametrically opposed. We'll be talking about differences in theology in a moment. They really literally hated. But these three groups and the scribes, everyone on the Sanhedrin has come together to say, we have got to get rid of this guy called Jesus. We have had enough of him already. You know why? Because Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the matter, pun intended. And all they wanted was to continue on with their way of wealth, Everything that was making their life, because mammon or money or all of that, that was number one. It's amazing to me how like we are in the world we find ourselves today. It's no different. It's 2,000 and some years ago. It's just exactly the same. You, you, people that are in power, people that have a lot of wealth that literally are depending on that for their future, they're right there. They would hate Jesus today. Jesus could step into this culture today, and he would be hated beyond belief, and would be crucified potentially by the end of the week. It's true. It's absolutely true. And we know from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that he came in the fullness of times. Jesus came exactly at the right moment, at the right day, and died exactly at the right moment on the right day to do everything God needed to be done. Isn't that cool? That's the sovereignty of God. These guys can't even kill him at the right time. And he gave his life. I want to be sure to say that. It wasn't that Jesus failed in his mission. Oh, he was just a little too overzealous. Just a little bit over the top. Finally got himself into trouble with the Romans, and they finally just snuffed him out. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. Jesus came with a purpose. That was to save which was lost. He gave his life as a ransom for those that had been lost. And he did it exactly right. He became the Passover lamb on the Passover. I would have loved to have seen the, the look on those on those. Uh, the Sadducees were, and the Pharisees, both of that group, you know, we finally got Jesus. We finally got him. And 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they go in because this is a big fat day. This is the high day because this is Passover. And to walk into the temple at the back and that curtain that would have split. No one had ever seen it in the Holy of Holies. And it was split from the top to the bottom. And that baby was not just a curtain. It was literally that thick. And it was torn from top to bottom. I wonder how they explained that. <gasps> oh, what are they going to do? No longer needed it. Jesus now was the go-between. There was nothing else needed. We did not need a priest in the Holy of Holies to prepare for the people to come for the atonement. It had been taken care of on that day, at that moment at 3 p.m. On that day, it was dark from noon to 3, and he said, it is finished. It was done. Wow. Am I getting you guys excited? Not yet. It's coming. We'll keep going, right? We'll keep running. Okay, so... The Pharisees are super ticked off because they've watched this Jesus guy come in and clean out 35 acres of temple. 
and all of their stuff was going away. So they came in, they're going to trap him. They bring Herodians. Politically, we'll take him out. Because when we ask this question, this question, yes or no, he's doomed, he's trapped. We have him in the Herodians then, because what they're looking for is an insurrectionist. That's not a, con- that's not a term that's, not un- that's uncommon to us right today, too. I don't even, I could just leave that lay, right? It's amazing how things are the same. And you know what? He doesn't bite. In fact, it's a brilliant answer. Throw me, show me the coin. And I'm paraphrasing. Wow, there was so much stuff we talked about. Show me a coin. And they said, here it is. And he said, well, well who's, uh, who's, who's, whose image is on that coin? Well, that would be Caesar. Now they're waiting for him. To, they're just waiting for him. Okay, Herodians, you got it? Are you writing down? Do you get your journals? Let's go. Get this guy. He's gonna, he says, well, I would go, to, go ahead and give to Caesar what's his, and, but be sure and give God what's his. Oh, you talk about a perfect answer. And they just went, oh, I can't believe it. How did we miss that one? Man, oh man. And their, their tail is between their legs. And guess who comes on board next? Is the people that actually hated the Pharisees, and their name is the Sadducees. Here they come. They're the group two on the same day, Wednesday being this day of Jesus' last teaching. What, wouldn't you? If you wanted to have been in that temple after you'd cleaned it up, can you imagine the passion of the people? This is what we've wanted. We've wanted this, a place of prayer, a prayer of teaching, a place of teaching for Jesus, literally to rise to the occasion to take over. Wouldn't that be great? And here comes these losers, right? We're going to take Jesus out. That guy needs to get killed. He is way out. He's healing people. I cannot believe the audacity of this man to be healing people in the temple. That's what's going on. That's how sick these people are. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. Here's the sad juices. There's that old, the old story, you know, that uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were so sad, you see. Right. Actually, what's that? Ha ha, yeah, ha ha. Now, actually, it's interesting that on the opening verse, did you see that? It described the Sadducees as being those that did not believe in the resurrection. And yet, guess what their question's about? Right, right. But, but keep in mind now, see, it's almost with some sense of glee or a little bit tongue-in-cheek. They watch the Pharisees, watch from a distance. Oh, those losers. <laughs> I knew they couldn't get it done. Okay, guys, ready? This is a question we've asked those clowns a hundred times. They can't answer it because there was this back and forth. The Sadducees had asked for literally, I'm going to say decades. Pharisees, tell you what, guys, you're so smart. Why don't you prove to us from the Bible, from, I should say from the Old Testament, that there is a resurrection. The Pharisees had just failed miserably. This is, a te- this is a question that has been not just designed for the day. This is a question that they've asked hundreds of times to Pharisees, and they can't answer it. They say, we've got Jesus now. Now, what is their purpose? If it's not necessary to get him in trouble with the Rome now, they're smarter than that. If they can actually make Jesus lose his following, lose his credibility with this massive amount of people that really has risen him up to a kingship, if we can get him to mess up lose credibility, we win. It'll go fast. Well, you know how it is. Have you ever seen somebody who's followed? I mean, you can get, there's all kinds of fads in the sense of people. You know, who knows what it is? I can't even think of one. There's so many. But they'll follow up, and then all of a sudden that that person says something really stupid. What in the world are we following that clown for, right? That's really what they're trying to do right here. Now, let's talk about the Sadducees. Uh, The Sanhedrin, we've talked about, is made up of a group of these people. Now, I wanted to go, which thought of it just now. Let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and let's take a look. John chapter 11, and let's take a peek. Oh, this was after, 
Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's what the first 44 verses are about. Then let's start looking at verse 45. This would be John chapter 11, verse 45. Now you can start to see. Now what would you do if you were a religious leader? Hold hold the phone for a moment. And all of a sudden you've heard that this Jesus, this guy from Nazareth that's been coming down through, he's been, well, you've heard about him for about three years now. He's not been just silent. He's been in the Jerusalem Times back in the second or third page a couple of few times, and this guy's healing people, and he's producing food, and he's feeding a lot of folks, and he's create, and he's got something over the nature. He can, like, calm the wind. It's really cool. I mean, it sounds like he's really well, but then he comes into Bethany, which was just out of, just side of Jerusalem. Now, that's the other thing. The Sadducees were mostly, they were really focused Right there at Jerusalem, right? They were the ones that ran the temple. These are the maddest people right now because Jesus has annihilated their wealth, uh, wealth creating system. These are the ones that really run the whole economic system, the Sadducees. Not very many of them. It's a small group, small sect, very, very wealthy. Uh, If I say the word aristocrat, that's who you should come to your mind with. Powerful, powerful. Elitists. They look down their nose at everyone else. They ran this show in the temple. They are furious at this Jesus. Now, that went right away. Okay, I lost that one. Where was I going to go? I was going to go to John 11, wasn't I? Okay. So now, oh yeah, I had a question for you. Am I like bouncing around today? I'm excited. There's so much stuff here, right? I like the Bible when it comes alive. Don't you? I do too. It makes it so much more fun. So here we have, uh, in John chapter 11, Lazarus, Jesus waited a few days have you ever wanted God to be a little bit more on time, following your timetable? Have you ever, God, I need you right now. I mean, like, I'm suffering right now. I need this right now. And you know what? He didn't show up. Have you ever been there where he doesn't show up? Oh, it's such a bummer, right? Oh, how do you, and, then, and, then, and then there's like, like Mary and Martha. Oh, if you'd only been here. I mean, the results would have been different. Our, our brother would, you, I, we know you're, you're, you're powerful enough. We know that you could have healed him. I'm thinking, no, you're still, remember, remember these guys, there's two things that the Sadducees failed to see, the scriptures and the power of God. It's pretty cool. Now, wait a minute. If you really know who Jesus is, just for him to make sure he's on time to heal the sickness, no, 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 you've missed his power. He has the power over death. In fact, you're about to see it, girls. Isn't that amazing? And he raises Lazarus from the dead. And guess who is so amazingly ticked off that should have been excited? That's a sign now. That would be a sign for us as religious leaders. That is the deal. We've never seen anybody raise anybody from anywhere. And you know what? He waited long enough. It wasn't like they just put him in a few hours. Let's see. If I hurry, he won't be. No, 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 no. He waited days. Now let's watch the reaction. Verse 45, chapter 11 of John. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But... Some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. That dirty rat was raising people from the dead. How dare he? No, that's my words. I'm paraphrasing a bit. Then gathered the chief. Who, now, who are the chief priests? Uh, you're going to have to trust me on this. We're going to go to Acts chapter 23 in a little bit. The chief priests of the Sanhedrin are the Sadducees. The chief priest whose name is Caiaphas, we'll find him in Acts chapter 23, he was a Sadducee. The Sadducees were the highest, the elitists. They were the kingpins, if you will. So here we have gathered the Pharisees and the chief priests, verse 47, a council and said, they're, they're getting together. These guys don't do that. What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. 
And I'm, I'm like, so, and the problem is what? <laughs> the only guy that should have been a little bit peeved, the only guy that should have been a little bit disappointed, there's one guy in this whole miracle, you know who that should have been? Lazarus. Ah, I don't want to come back. I was in paradise. It was awesome. Oh, nothing on you, Mary and Martha, but I really, I was so good. It was so great. How would you like to go to heaven and come back? No, a thousand times no, right? But here we go. They're mad at him because he brought someone to life. Now I lost my place. Uh, Verse 48. Now listen carefully. Watch this. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us, it's best for us, that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. And from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. That's the group right there, the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees, that group, that sect, and there was four sects. We should maybe talk about this just briefly. Major sects. One was, we've talked about it already, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, you ever heard of those guys? Okay, their job, they were kind of like hermits. They went out into the desert and would copying scrolls, if you were. Remember the Dead Sea Scrolls? You've heard of that? The Essenes were probably the ones that actually made those Dead Sea Scrolls. Their job was pretty mundane from the sense of at least being plugged in society. They literally just copied stuff. They were copyists. And not to take that job lightly, it's extremely important for us. It's amazing for us to look back at the Dead Sea Scrolls and say, that is way cool. That is God's manuscripts literally unfolded for us to know that its veracity is right there, spot on. That was that group. And then the fourth one, which I hopefully wrote it down because I'm failing to remember it. Oh, the Zealots. Remember Simon the Zealot? He actually became a, a, a disciple. They were very political. It would be like almost, for we would say, a super patriot today in the United States. They would be almost diagnosed almost to the level of terrorists. They were willing to take a life of a Roman. If there would be a way for them to be able to take the life of Rome, who is the arch enemy, that's why we are in trouble in Israel, because the Romans are over the top. They're tyrants. They're t- we're in tyranny because of them. They hated the Romans. That was the zealots. And you'll actually see, you've heard the, the word uh, Zion, Zionists, much the same. It's, it almost would transfer from that. Now, interestingly enough, in AD 70, it has nothing to do with this, 70 here is the number of, me- number of people on the Sanhedrin. Now, it wasn't there was one other to break the tie. Who was the 71st one? The high priest. He, he ruled the thing, and if it was tie, he would break the tie. Now, that group, the Sadducees, which was the smallest group, I, I should, better not say that. It was smaller than the Pharisees by a fair bit. The people liked the Pharisees more than the Sadducees because the Sadducees were very, very ultra-conservative in the sense it was the law and the law only, and they ruled by the law. If there was something in front of them, they ruled, I mean, as strict and as harsh as possible. Pharisees, they had laws to get around laws. That's kind of like our Congress, right? There's a law in the books. There's something in the Constitution. Let's make something up so we don't have to do that, right? That, they were really good. They had like 800 extra laws. You know, if you can't walk this far on Sunday, but if you could actually... Just stretch it a little. That's the Pharisees. Do you see where I'm going with that? Sadducees weren't like that. It was hard line, absolutely hard line. They, they did not waver whatsoever. Rule to show. Now, where was I going with that? Sadducees. Sadducees. We'll, we'll come back to it. 
no, no doubt. Um, I think we should go to Acts chapter 23 for a moment. Acts chapter 23, verse 8. Let's watch this even a little bit further. Acts chapter 23, verse 8. Now, Paul is on trial. He, and he is so clever. So clever. In fact, I'm going to, let's just start in verse 30 of Acts chapter 22. Uh, we want to just end up in verse 8. I know I'll probably, it'll be something you can read at home. But here we go. Uh, we're talking about Paul. Acts 22, verse 30. You got it? 2230. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherewith he was accused of the Jews, he, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. This is a, basically a hearing, if you will. And Paul earnestly beholding the counsel said, this is the Sanhedrin. Okay. He's, he's appearing before the Sanhedrin, same group. He said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that it was he the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. He must have not even known. I'm getting off in the weeds a little bit, but we can talk about that later. But literally this high priest, this Annas, and Annas and Caiaphas, you saw that name earlier, they actually would switch back and forth. Annas was the old guy. Caiaphas was the son-in-law. And Annas really, this is the, this is the main dude here. But he would sometimes step away, turning it over the reins to Caiaphas. Okay? At any rate, I don't think Paul actually knew this, the, the, the origin of this slap. But when he, when he said, may it be done to you, and they say, you're saying that to the high priest. And then he said, wait, wait a minute. I didn't know it was him. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 5. Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the, I'm sorry, I read that. Verse 6. But when Paul perceived, watch this, perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called into question. Do you know what happened immediately when he said that? Oh, we took that and just split it wide open. He's a Pharisee. Well, did you guys hear that? He's one of us. Whoa, listen, listen to him. And then he believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees, we don't want anything to do with him. And all of a sudden, that split is like massively elevated. Let's watch it. Verse, am I in seven now? I just stay here. When he had said so, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. Now watch. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Wow. There you have it again. You can see, literally, there's a split in theology between the Sadducees and Pharisees, and yet they still served in the Sanhedrin. And they were together collectively to take Jesus out. I've tried to show you that very clearly. These guys that don't like one another, it's kind of like today too. Isn't it amazing? Satan's tools by themselves hate each other. But if there's a common thread, if there's someone that they can take out God's messenger or God's message, they will coalesce to take them out. Same thing. Exactly the same thing. Okay. Let's go back to Mark. And let's see. Let's talk about resurrection for a moment. One of the things, it's, it seems almost, it's almost, uh, what do I say? There's, there's a yearning in a sense the way God made us. There's like this box within it. That's not right. It's in the soul. You'll find it in Ecclesiastes. He puts something in us in the sense of seeking for him and the sense of looking beyond this life. Even the cults, even all of those isms that literally have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, they may even say that they're 
who knows what? I could name a bunch of them, but I'm not, that's not my point. There's something beyond the grave. There's, even as far as reincarnation. You know, that, that whole thing just blows my mind. Reincarnation, right? I mean, if, if you're bad, you might come back as a fly. I, I'm just thinking of all the flies in the room here today. If, if, uh, well, you're dead meat. I'm going to say, if you're a fly, you, it's, I'm sorry, I don't care what you were before, you are dead. That's the way it works, right? And to think, actually, what people believe in re- reincarnation, you could come back as something else because you didn't get it right the first time. That's what the Bible is so clear. It is appointed unto men to die once and then the judgment. It's one time. You get one shot. Thank heavens, uh, that fully the heavens, that Jesus Christ died for us so that we can get it right the first time. Jesus Christ did it right so that we can get it right. Isn't that fantastic? I wish I could go through a thousand lives, right? Oh, I was reading with interest um, the ascended masters. I shouldn't even get started on that, but there's, there's a part that's going on today. I'll maybe just share with it because it was the same in that day. There's so many of the regular people that saw the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Essenes, all of those people would have saw them as the group of light. They're on our side. They're God's people, right? Because they had the right title. The very same thing is going on today. There's a sense of there's, there's darkness and there's light. Not just because someone says it's light, is it God's light? Truth matches reality. There is, there's as many lies on the right side today as there is on the left side. I'm using left and right. You could say darkness and light. And if you don't, in fact, I got to go here for a moment. We need to be here for just a little bit because this is something that's going on in our world today. There's things that are being purported and shown as light that are not God's light. And that was intended to be very loud because Satan is a complete imitator of God. So let's, with, with your permission, I didn't ask very much, did I? I just said we're going to go there. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is very, very important, particularly for us today. It's so hard to find truth. Truth matches reality. Let's take a look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse, I want to I pick up verse 3. There's so much here. But verse 3, we know how Satan was with Eve. He says, but I fear. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians, second letter. I fear chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear lest by any means is the serpent beguiled craftily deceived Eve through his subtility. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Isn't it amazing how much, how many minds are confused in chaos and confusion across our land today? It's crazy. You know, you, you can have 10 people in a room and those 10 people, the sense of them actually getting it, it's, it's, it's nil. It's nothing. They're confused. It was like, Eve, I'm almost thinking at the end, here's, here's Satan spinning this lie to, to Eve, right? Did God really say that? Does he really love you? That was the point. Can you really trust him? Boy, I can't believe he held up and you're there. I mean, you really can't. Just think of how enlightened, well, that would be a term that would sell today, how enlightened you'd be if you'd really just eat of the Fuji apple and all of a sudden things would clear up because you'd be just like a god. That sounded great, right? And, and I can imagine Eve, and Adam was right there. To, to, to his discredit, he's watching this. He's watching it from literally, I think, an arm's length away. And he doesn't protect his wife. He's not protecting her. And finally, she looks at him. He looks at her. Oh, right? Have you ever, I don't know, right? How many times does somebody, oh, and they do something really stupid, right? It's amazing. It's not just kids. Oh, no, it's, it's adults. They, they do something really stupid. It's because we're confused. We're, it's, it's chaos. It's the sense of no direction. And it's always in the sense of light. 
but now let's take a look. We know that's what happened because we, we're here. What would have you done in the Garden of Eden? Oh, we would have sinned too. I'm sorry. May not even been that day. We might have got to write that day. I wonder what that apple really tastes like. Boy, it looks good, right? That, that's how sin works, isn't it? It just sucks you in a little bit further. And then after, I cannot believe I fell for that one. Here it is on page three in your Bible, chapter three, and we fall to it again every single day. He uses the same. It's not even, he doesn't even change it up. It's the same. Watch this. Oh, worked again. Imagine that. But let's look at verse 14. Same chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Oh, wait, let's go back to verse 13. And there's so much more. You should read the whole chapter. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Stop for a moment. Just because someone says that they are a disciple of Christ, with that verse should mean absolutely nothing. Now let's look. It even goes further. He, he bases it on this. And no marvel. It's no wonder. Verse 14. Watch. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Just look at his names. What does the word Lucifer mean? Morning star. Morning light. What does Satan mean? Dragon. Destroyer. Now wait a minute. Did you see that? You actually have both sides, light and darkness, in the same being. Folks, we need to be very, 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 very on task, on guard. Just because someone says it is light versus darkness does not mean it's not coming from the same place. Think of that carefully. There's a lot of things that are purported to be light today that are from the same pit of hell. They're from the same Satan. They're just coming from a different side of him. That literally is the same. I could name cults today. I'm not going to do it. Again, it's not about naming one. But there was one in, that came really in question that was really interesting to me that fits this model perfectly. Now, most of you did not live where I lived in Paradise Valley. Does anyone else live there? Paradise Valley? Okay. There was a church called Church Universal Triumphant. Take the church and throw it out the window. It was not a church of any means. The woman that ran that was Elizabeth Clare Prophet, which has since passed away in, I think, 2006 or eight, They moved to Paradise Valley, bought the Malcolm Forbes, that journal, you know, the famous guy, and they bought this ranch, and they moved there, and it was amazing the terms that she's using, that she used. I listened to a, to a political, I would say, a, no, it was an army general actually using the same exact terminology as Elizabeth Clare Prophet in speaking of the ascended masters and the Enlightenment age. They are using the same terms, and they're on opposite pages, and it's all from Satan. I don't know what this has to do with the Sadducees, except, you know what? The people didn't see them for who they were either. It's amazing. Today is exactly the same as it was back then. There's so much fooling from Satan. Just because it's coming from, quote, a picture of light does not mean anything. The real light in God, there is no darkness at all. Here's what you've got to do when there's a light. If there's a light and there's proposed to be this is God's stuff unpack it. There's a financial reset that's taking place. Okay, And you've maybe heard different. There's, there's all, I can't get into this today because I've got to keep moving. But it's amazing to know this. And it sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Until you look at the bottom line. 
Start reading the fine print. You get to the bottom, and I want to see who's glorified. I want to see who really is getting the credit. I want to see where it's really headed. And you know what? H, and there's actually two diametrically opposed resets. Is this just like total Greek to you guys? Maybe, maybe not. Okay. Anyway, let's keep going. And they're actually coming from very different ends of the earth in the sense of direction. One is from the left. One is from the right. I'm just saying that, dark or light. The one that is from the light, honestly, folks, when you dig into it, it is from hell as well because it doesn't want to give God any presence. It is only interested in being on the gold standard. No, gold is not our God. God is our God. That has to be at the bottom of the line. When we fell off of the gold standard, it wasn't our undoing. It was when we got off the God standard. That was our undoing. That's what's happened here. I got that off my chest. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot of people that are being fooled today. On the right, the left, the dark, the light. That verse right there should open our eyes beyond belief that Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. Isn't that crazy? How careful can we be? That's why you have to immerse yourself in the Word of God. It's amazing today. Jesus is going to take him right back to the Word. Okay. Let's kind of reel this back. That was a branch. Are you guys okay with what we did there? I think we really, really just, especially our young kiddos. There's kids that aren't grounded in the Word of God. They don't know that Satan can be transformed. You talk about light and darkness. Doesn't Doesn't that message sell? It sells great. Who wants to be in the darkness? No, that's Satan. You know what? He's got just as much stuff in the light. He doesn't care because Antichrist is not just against Christ. It's anything except Christ. That, then he wins. That's our society today. That's what, the, that's what the Antichrist, the great one, the one that's coming, that won't, you won't find anybody more evil than that one. And that's another term too. We sometimes say evil versus good. It's like if I say what's the opposite of good, it's so tempting to say evil. No. There is no opposite to God's good. There is nothing that can even match it on the opposite side. Evil is the absence of good. That's why God didn't create evil. He's allowed it. And I don't understand. That's an infinite issue. But the point is, it should actually drive us further towards him, the good. The only way you would know there was evil if there was good, right? Evil is not a thing. It's not a created thing. It's the absence of God's goodness. That's what hell is, is the absence of God. That's where we're at today. Okay, take a breath, right? Let's keep moving. Any questions or comments about this? This is is today. This is our century we live in today. This is right now current events. Okay? Let's, uh, where did we sort of leave ourselves off then? Let's go back to Mark, right? Find my glasses. Let's talk a little more about the Sadducees. What made them different? Uh, we've already said it. We've went to several places. Number one, they don't believe in the resurrection. resurrection. Wow, what a, what, a, what a bunch of drips, right? I mean, even everybody believes in afterlife. Someone had said this, wait a minute. If God created life, why would he just go to just die then? Wouldn't it be bigger? Absolutely. You've got an eternal God that's created life. It's got to go beyond that. It has to. That's the biggest problem I would think for an atheist. Sadducees were really not that much different. They just used religion as their, as their piece of which they could steal from the people. But if, you, if you're not going to get a day, not going to live a minute past the time you die, what are you going to live your life for? Get it all, baby. Eat, drink, and be merry. Take it all. And they lived that way. They took every opportunity to become wealthier and richer and just pass it on to their families. Again, does that sound deja vu? Of course it does. It's the way it is. No resurrection. 
Think of all that for a moment. We're going to get down to this at the end of our session today in the sense of looking at the resurrection. But there was also something else they didn't believe in. They didn't believe in the spirit world. They didn't really believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. Isn't that interesting? Jesus takes them right where they don't want to really be, right? But they opened it up. They said, well, in the resurrection, whose wife, you know, they're just laughing. You can just see this, this little, little tweak, you know, oh, we got it now. <laughs> I mean, the Pharisees for years haven't been able to get out of this one. This question will work. We've nailed them so many times, they don't even know what to do. Jesus isn't going to be able to answer this one. They don't know my Jesus, do they? They don't know your Jesus. Sadducees. Now, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25. This particular case, even though it's, it's fallacious in probably the way it's designed, it's to be almost absurd, but there's something about it that is, in fact, following after God's Word. Now, there's some... Oh, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going I'm to... You know what we should do? That's okay. We'll go to... Are you in Deuteronomy yet or not? Okay, somebody's in Deuteronomy. Let's go. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Let's take a look at verses 5 through 10. This is a real deal, by the way. This is not something they've made up that is totally irrelevant to God's Word. No, it is. Verse 5, chapter 25. If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without, in other words, outside of the family, unto a stranger, her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I will not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall say, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. So what you really don't want to do is have someone walk, oh, you're the one that had your shoe loosed. <laughs> Very public too. Did you notice there's a lot of public going on? And so again, a couple things here. Um, they're speaking of two brothers here, okay? And they were in the same house. It seems as such, without question, that the second husband, uh, I'm sorry, the second brother, the first husband, uh, okay. Brother one married to wife one, okay? He dies, okay? Brother two, who is not married, this is a single brother, then his responsibility for his brother, first brother, is to be married to his brother's wife, and the first son from that relationship then would be in his brother's name to pass on the inheritance. That's scriptural. That's very scriptural. Okay? In fact, it's so cool to watch. They are asking the question of Jesus, who is about to be our Passover lamb, is standing before them because this very thing has happened in his lineage. There was a woman by the name of Ruth went to a couple of the different brothers. And there was, well, there was, it was her and her, that, that other lady. I can't think of her name right now. But at any rate, Elimelech is the one whose family is in jeopardy. There's no son. There's no son. 
In fact, they go back to Israel, and what was Naomi? She says, you guys just need to just go back home. I, mean, I don't have another son. You need another. See, she's actually thinking of this right here. The son that she doesn't have, but if she had another son, then would take the place of the one that died, Ruth's husband that died. They go to Israel, and guess what? God sets it up perfectly. Now, how would you like to do this? Israel's not, it's not a big country, but it's not small in the sense of, Naomi says, honey, you shouldn't have even come with me. And, no, and Ruth said, no, no, where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. I'm going to take care of you. You are my mother-in-law. I'm going to treat you as my mother because you are who I am. Where you abide, I'm going to abide. So the next, well, at some morning, they say, honey, we don't have any food. Now, there's a way it used to be done here is you can go out in the fields and glean. And then you will be able to get, and, and, and you know, we'll just pray to God. We'll just, he'll, he'll take you to the right place. Oh, did he take her to the right place? He goes, she goes to the one field that's being managed and owned by a guy by the name of Boaz, which nobody knows who he is. Ruth would have no idea. But you know what? She's a woman of integrity. She's a hard worker. You can just see the labor that she's put in. And Boaz, it was enough. She, who's, who's that over there? Oh, that's, uh, that's Ruth. Uh, you know, Naomi came back, and, you know, she lost her husband and the two sons. And, oh, what a sad story. And I can't tell the whole book of Ruth, but it's so fun to watch that unfold. And all of a sudden, wait a minute. This is all fitting together. This is off of Deuteronomy chapter 25. Boaz is that near kinsman that literally marries Ruth. And then there's Obed, and there's Jesse, and there's David who is in line with Jesus Christ, who is now fielding the question from the Sadducees that don't believe in resurrection. Isn't this... I just think the irony of it is amazing. Sadducees. Now, there's a term called uh, leverate. Leverate has nothing to do with Levi. Let me write that on the board, because if you see it, that's sometimes what you think. It's L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. If you see that, you almost you want to say Levi rate or something like that. You want to make it part of the tribe of Le- Levi. No, 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 no. This actually means husband's brother. Husband's brother. It has to do with this very concept in Deuteronomy chapter 25. That brother is to take, um, take his husband's, his brother's first wife and to produce for that line, to keep the inheritance in the, and God took that very seriously. It's in, it's in his word. So here they come with a super great question. They've got Jesus trapped. They know they do. They know they've got him right where they want him. But before we do that, I want you to see what the Old Testament says about resurrection. Let's go to the Psalms first. These are ones you want to probably jot down. Uh, Now, the reason I'm doing that is because the Old Testament, obviously, they would have had. There's been 400 years stretch between Malachi, or I should say the end of uh, the prophecies and the New Testament. 400 years have taken place. So they have these. So 16.9, Psalm 16, verse 9, says this, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. You see that? There's hope beyond the sense of when my flesh or my physical death. That's Psalm 16.9. Turn over to Psalm chapter 49 and verse 15. Psalm 49 and verse 15. Look at this. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Oh, that, man, that is like slam dunk, right? There's one more. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Ezekiel, Daniel, right? Chapter 12, verse 2. 
Again, I'm just diving in. You're looking for a concept. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of them, 12, 2, and many of them that sleep, that is, are dead in the dust of the earth, shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Um, and you're saying, why is it such a hard thing for the Sadducees, of which we have the high priest being the leader? Why can they not get this? There's a really important part. They only believed in the first five books. They were Pentateuch people. Only Moses and Moses alone was worthy of any sense of adherence, of belief. No one to their credit, no one have they, no time had the Pharisees ever been able to take the first five books and convince the Sadducees that there's resurrection in those first five books. This is where I think it's so fantastic because one of the things we want to say is to see the sovereignty of this Jesus Christ, deity, God in the flesh, to watch. This is a question they, I guarantee you, they had not just run that one up the pipeline a couple of times, up the flagpole a couple of times. This had been circulated. Well, it, it's like somebody's, Larry, you believe in God can do anything, right? He can do anything that is in his character of, and not him being anything other than God. Well, can he make a rock big enough that he can't lift? That would be like one of these questions. It's absurd, right? It's absurd. It makes no sense. This is what they've come with. And they've run this around the room a couple of times. And they think, you know, you can just see the smugness. What do you think? We got it this time. You know, just waiting for this. Okay, people, listen, this is going to be really a stupid answer he's going to come up with. He does the, he does the immeasurable one. He takes them to Moses, right? That's the only thing they'll listen to. And he tells them that they really are erring. They don't understand the scriptures. Now, that would be like slapping them in the face several times. Because these are the people that are telling the people what the scriptures say. And the other thing they didn't realize is the power of God. If, if God could make people, why couldn't he resurrect them after physical death? Why would you want to minimize? There's a whole lot of people today that make God way too small. It's happening all the time. Uh, I was going to go down another branch, but I won't do that. So let's watch. Oh, something really interesting. If I was going... <laughs> I saw the 70 again. This, so for right now, there was 70 in the Sanhedrin, but let's say it was 70 AD. Somebody... One of my history students, tell me what happened in 70 AD. Christ is gone. What happened? Yeah, I mean, the Romans came in and whacked. I mean, poof, gone. Temple's gone, all the temple. In fact, that's the last time they've even ever had a temple of any kind. And today, we've said this numerous times. I'm going to continue to say it because I think it really will mark the beginning of the tribulation. Is, well, the, the marking of the tribulation will be by the sense of the rapture of the church. But the first in the beginning throes of the tribulation, I believe that there will be a pact made between the Antichrist, who is totally evil, but he will be almost like light. I mean, and we're going to see this. This light thing is really starting to take shape. The ascended masters, the enlightenment age, the time, you see it all over. It's been going on. The new age, what is it about? It's about enlightenment. The Antichrist will be very enlightened. The Antichrist more than likely will make a pact with the Israelites and provided them a place and maybe even some continuous materials. Did you know that the Jews are actually assembling materials to build another temple? They just don't have a place to put it because where they want to put it is Arab-controlled. Okay. Somehow that Antichrist is going to make this peace treaty, and when he can provide for the Jews a place to have their sacred temple, they will trust him like you won't believe 
And for three and a half years, he will bait and switch them, and the world just goes more and more under his control. And in the middle of that, boom, it's over. But at 70 AD, something happened. Yes, the temple was destroyed. You know what else was abolished? It's gone forever. Never seen them again. Sadducees. It's the last of them. They ran that temple. They ran it hard. That was the end of them when that temple was destroyed. You won't find them again. They're gone after 70 AD. Isn't that amazing? Kind of interesting. These are the guys that were the aristocrats. They're the one that really had looking out their noses at Jesus. Oh, no, their days were numbered. Their days were numbered. Okay. So think of that. Slip, yourself, slip yourselves into the shoes of a Sadducee for a moment. How depressing would that be? You have this life to live. Or an atheist from out of that thinks they just walked out of the goo, right? It, it, it just happened, and, you know, it's the end, and when I die, it's over, and there's... Oh, that would be depressing, wouldn't it? Oh, my goodness. And then to think that these people actually believed in God, going back to the Sadducees, believed in God, and to think that their God, there was nothing beyond the grave? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. A purpose and design, you create all of this out of nothing, and you come to... The, oh, that's it. That's, it's over. It makes no sense, does it? It just make any sense at all. No, no. My God is a God of life. He's a God of life. Now, here's another thing. See, they did not need a Messiah, the Sadducees. They didn't need a Messiah. What would they need him for? If there's no resurrection, you're just dead. What value is a Messiah? You see it? You don't even see him running into Jesus in the sense of Messiah. They don't care. They have no, they're into their economy that's taking place in the temple. That's all they care about. Have you met men or women like that, that all that matters is the money? It's amazing, isn't it? Power and money, power and money, power and money, power and money. They'd fit right in. They'd fit right in. I don't know why, but let's go to uh, Acts chapter 4 and 5. Oh, yeah, I, I want, let's look at this. Acts 4 and 5. They really didn't like teaching about resurrection. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And this was literally the beginning of the persecution. If you were going to track from Acts 2 forward, there's the beginning of the church. And in 4, things are going awesome. I mean, there's miracles and the church is growing and they're, and they're really just, I mean, steadfast in fellowship and koinonia. That would be another term for it. And look, chapter 4 is a but. Chapter 4 of Acts, verse 1. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. How dare they? Right? They're really ticked off. And you'll find Annas, verse 6, the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and many who are kindred of the high priest were gathered together to Jerusalem and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost said unto them, you rulers of people and elders of, this, of, the, of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Did you see when he said when he raised him from the dead? Oh, that would be like, whew, that's a plunge right to the heart. He's talking to the Sadducees. Then in chapter 5, take a look at that. Now that's one that's really, we actually looked at it a couple of weeks ago. They locked the apostles up, two of them, 
angel comes in, opens it up. They're down teaching. Verse 17 of chapter 5 of Acts. Then the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. And then the angel took them out. Look at verse 28. Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood. What was the doctrine? The doctrine of resurrection. In fact, if you take that out of me, if, if you told me Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I, I would beat you out this door. There'd be no reason for you to be here. Because if I can't get out of death, if, there's not, if God didn't handle that, I'm done. This is not the party. This is not the ticket. But it is there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is so amazing. It's so amazing. The resurrection is the key to Christianity. If you don't, have, if, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you really honestly are not a Christian. You can't be. Because you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If He didn't raise from the dead, that was God, man, God was not satisfied with the payment that He made on the cross. That was the stamp of approval. Boom! If He would have just died and been in the grave, and He's still in the grave today, if Jesus was still in the grave, I'm out of here. But the fact that He rose from the dead three days later was God's saying, that's a stamp of approval. Everything that He died for was satisfactory. The propitiation, the payment was full and complete. Whew. Boy, I'm a little bit excited today. What the world? What did I have for breakfast, right? Seven brothers. Why not five? Make sure it's enough, right? Now think of that for a moment. Now, let's, if this was really true, so brother one is married to, what should we call the wife? She's got to have a name. We'll just go with wifey, okay? Okay, there we go. So husband one, married to wife. He passes away before they have a child. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 12. But this is all biblical. So husband, our husband. Brother two becomes husband of wife. Same deal. Third brother. Now, I would have to be honest. If I'm in this family <laughs> and I'm like number five, I am gone. <laughs> I'm out of here, right? I'm gone. I would tell it, go ahead and take my slipper off or my, and slap me in the face because I don't want to die, right? And I can't believe the seventh one hung around. That's all I got to say. If you've seen six brothers, and she, whatever was going on with her, I don't want any of it. But then their story ended well. It said she died too. I mean, it all works out, right? It all works out in the end. Now, actually... The whole thing is so absurd, it's crazy. But you know what? I'm thinking of, I don't know why, but Elizabeth Taylor, how many times was she married? Seven? So I think I'm right, I think it's seven. I don't know why she popped in my head. You see, it's almost like on this other side, whose husband is she? <laughs> and, you know, and again, I'm, I, there's some suppositions going on here, right? Okay? But see, it's actually a question that, and the Pharisees, now their take on all of this, which we didn't talk about, their take on the resurrection was really quite odd in itself. Well, I wonder. In the now, they believed in the resurrection. Make, make, make no, that's a statement. They believed in the resurrection. But one of the things, I wonder, do you have clothes on or not? Ooh, that would be a little bit embarrassing to me. Hmm. I wonder, 
And, and this, this whole concept is going on. So literally, they came down to this believing this. Whatever you were wearing when you died is exactly what you'll be resurrected in. What? <laughs> and if you had, if you, if you had a, a bum arm, whatever's wrong with it, when you're resurrected, you're going to have a bum arm. Everything you went into, you get... Isn't that a small picture of God? That's a really... So, oh, right? It's craziness. So you can see why the Sadducees are having a field day with the Pharisees. Oh, what were you wearing when he died, I wonder, right? <laughs> they really believe this stuff. And Jesus, after having, un- unpacking this, unfolding this, he's listening to this. I wonder what he's thinking. Oh, my goodness, right? And it's probably not the first time he's even heard it. Knowing Jesus, he'd heard it somewhere else amongst the, the circling, right? <laughs> and they stand back. If, if you're still in Mark, let's go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. <laughs> and uh, Jesus said unto them, well, the question was, it was just great. In the resurrection, therefore, which we don't believe in, by the way, when they shall rise. What does that tell you about the question? What does that tell you? They don't believe what they're saying anyway. Whose wife will she be? Verse 7 had her to wife. Oh, now we'll just sit back and listen to this nonsense. Jesus said, first of all, he nailed him. You're erring. You're completely in error. Don't you know what the scriptures? Don't you know about the scripture? Now, that would be like telling, who could we tell that to? I mean, this is their job. This is what they do. They're teaching people. Uh, you're really erring. You're, you don't, you, don't you read the scriptures? Now, that was sarcastic. One of the Gospels, and Matthew, I think it is. It's, have you never went to the Scriptures? <laughs> ouch, ouch. Or do you know the power of God? Watch. For when they shall rise from the dead, that's not if, when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Now that verse 25, I'm convinced, must be behind the fact. How many funerals or different events have you went to in regards to a memorial or something where let's just say the guy's name was John, that John's an angel in heaven now. No, no, that is not what it says. He says, as an angel, we don't become angels when we go to heaven. We do not sprout wings. We do not sit on clouds and play harps. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, there's some little, I don't want to do that forever. Well, no, you won't be doing that forever because that's not who you are. It says as angels. What do you mean as angels? What do angels do? What do we know about angels? We know there's a fixed number of them. We know they don't die. We know they don't, they don't perpetuate. They don't, they don't have marriage. They're, all of these things. There's a fixed number of them. Now, what happens to us when we go to heaven, when we're a resurrected body? No more death. You don't need to procreate. The purpose of families here, what are Adam and Eve? Now, you think about this. You've got this planet, which some people seem to think there's way too many of us on this planet right now. I'm confused. There's more than enough resources. God is in charge. Again, everything fixes for me, no matter what's going on on this planet right now. And there's, there's problems, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's problems. But it says in G- Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is a great place for me to live and die on right there. If he created it, he can take care of it. I'm going to leave it to him. And we've messed it up so badly with sin, he's going to have to say, we need a renovation. There will be a coming day that that fire is going to completely renovate this whole place. But I'm going to let him do that. Somebody talks about a nuclear war that's going to... No, it's not going to happen because God said it's not going to happen. God's going to renovate with fire. Man's not going to do that. He doesn't get to get the chance. There's idiots that are in charge that could push a button and want to, and it's not going to happen. I'm not worried about stuff like that. It doesn't make any sense to me. God is in charge all of the time. 
That's a couple amens, right? I mean, it's, that's, that's the deal. If, if, if he wasn't, again, I probably would be just freaking out. If you didn't know Jesus Christ today in the year 2022, and you didn't know the Bible, and you didn't know about God, I don't know how you live, right? How do you wake up in the morning and get after it? It is why they're fearful. And, you know, we went, that was so, it was actually good for me. You remember um, last week, the first time that fear shows up in the Bible is Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned, and it says they hid themselves, and they were afraid. That's what sin does. Isn't that exactly what sin does? It's destroying our world. It's destroying our world. Uh, I lost my. What we tell me what we were just talking about? Being angels. Oh yeah, angels. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Why did I forget that? You know, angel. You're you're kind of like an angel, right? We're all like angels, right? There's not going to be any marriage. That's straight away. That that's exactly what Jesus just said. This this passage of scripture right here. I'm glad that, I'm glad those guys came with that stupid question. I think it's great. Because now I know, because the way Jesus said, no, there will be no marriage in heaven. We don't need it. In fact, the bride of Christ, the church, is the bride of Jesus Christ. We will be married. That's the love of our life. That will be so intimate with our Savior. All of those things that we don't know about Him, we will know instantly. I, I can't wait. I really, literally cannot wait. But there will be no reason for marriage. No one dies. There's no sorrow. There's no tears. There's no pain. There's no... All of those things are gone. We are just as the angels. Not an angel. You don't become an angel. I don't know. Where did they get that? It must have been out of there, though. You're going to be like angels. No. No, it's just the very fact of how they exist, how they are right now, how they are in heaven, praising God. But he goes on to say something else. He backs it up. First of all, saying that's, that marriage isn't even a, a position. It's not even a place. Verse 26. And it's touching the dead that they rise. <laughs> this is good. Have you, this is verse 26 of Mark chapter 12. Have you not read in the book of Moses? Why would he say Moses? It's the only one they'll listen to. That's the only authority that they ever have. How in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Exodus chapter, I think it's chapter 3. Let's find Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3 and verse 6. Exodus 3, 6. <clears throat> Actually, we'll start in verse... Oh, why don't we just do it this way? We'll start in verse 1. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Watch verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, 
the purpose for God speaking to, to Moses in that regard was the fact, again, that I am God of your ancestors. But the interesting part is he could have said this, and this is what the Sadducees would have missed. This is what the Pharisees missed. This is in Moses' Pentateuch. This is in the first five books. What if it would have said, I was the God of Abraham? I was the God of Isaac. That would mean past tense. But he didn't say that. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Abraham. And these guys had all died. They're all dead. That is amazing what that says by the way it says it. He is the God of living. Every one of those deceased descendants of Moses were still living. Isn't that fantastic? That's the God of living. That's, that's the God of resurrection. And he takes these guys to task, goes back to Moses nonetheless, and shows them it's right in the Word of God. Right in the Word of God. Back to Mark chapter 12. Start to close down. Mark chapter 12. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly err. Greatly err. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Paul did, this, this chapter on the resurrection is amazing, amazing. Now, the question was still kind of reverberating through Corinth as well. That was a very carnal city. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35. This is, a, this is a, literally a chapter that you should, you should read often. It's, it's our whole hope. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? <laughs> they were wondering, well, what does, what does this resurrected body look like? And you know, in our, in our minds, it's kind of like, well, it must be kind of the same. You know, it kind of makes... Look what he uses as an analogy. Thou fool, verse 36, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. In other words, take a, take a kernel of wheat. Let's just say you know nothing about wheat. And I've got a kernel of wheat. Oh, it's make-believe. And there's a kernel here. Okay? And I say, this will become life. What is it going to look like? And what is, where do you go with that? Well, it'll probably look like that, right? No. Who would guess until you really planted the seed and it grew into this? I didn't see that coming. See, a resurrected body, yes, it will be identifiable. Of course it will, because they knew who Jesus was. The disciples knew who he was. And he ate bread with them, right? He walks through doors. I would try that, but I can't do it right now, right? There's, there's inhibitions that aren't, are no longer inhibitions. But he uses this, and look what he says. He says, just as... That thou sowest, verse 37, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear again, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Very unique. All flesh is not the same flesh. Then turn down to verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, or perishable, and it is raised in incorruption. That's really cool. Everything, every ailment that you have right now, you can, you know, some, some of us is longer list than others. And the older we get, the longer the list gets. You know what? All of that is, is past. What we sow, when we sow, it's like a wheat seed. That's what he's, he's using that as an analogy. As you're putting that wheat in the ground. It must die so that life comes. This body of ours that is 
perishable, it raises up imperishable. That's, I don't know if that word gets it. Sometimes the corruption in corruption for me, it doesn't quite get there. Perishable? Is it Im? Imperishable? Yeah, imperishable. Nothing can take it away. Look at this. Um, let's see here. Where is this at? Verse 51. There's even some of us, potentially, that when the rapture takes place, the catching away, we will be changed. Verse 51. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Whether you die or, in this case, watch. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. Whether, you're, whether you die or whether you are uh, caught in this twinkling of an eye, verse 52, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, imperishable, and we shall be changed all at the same time. And this corruptible, perishable, must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O grave, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that, this is my dad's favorite verse, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's one thing is if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is nothing in vain serving Him. Nothing. Because the future is fixed. Because we eternally will have life. Because of the resurrection. You think of this passage now that Jesus... And look at the... Go back to Mark for a moment. Talk about blow their minds. That's actually what the word means. Mark chapter 12. And let's look at that. Um, actually, that is not going to... Let me look at another one. Hold your spot right there. I want to... Somewhere it says that. Or maybe it's Matthew. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. I'll find it in just a second. Yeah, let's go to Matthew chapter 22. This is, the, this is the parallel passage. And we'll just read verse 32 and 33. He says, are you there? Matthew 22, verse 32. It says, he responds, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his, at his doctrine. That word astonished literally means blew their mind. Just completely, completely blew their minds. Let's talk about Jesus now. In this little, this little episode of which the Sadducees, guess what? The Pharisees have been whooped. The Sadducees, I don't know. That's amazing. Now, here's something that's even more amazing. We went to Acts. Did you see that? We went to Acts chapter 23 and verse 8. Then we watched Caiaphas or Annas. These guys have got this council. And what do they really tick off? Remember, they, they, they actually imprisoned the disciples. For what reason? Because they were teaching about the resurrection. What part of Jesus said did you not be able to get? Did he not explicitly ex exhibit the sense that the resurrection is real from Moses' own writings? Did you see it? They chose not to believe. They're so ingrained, don't confuse me with the facts. That's where, this, that's where we are today. That's where they Think of that. There was a number of years that went by, and they still stayed right where they were at. They wanted to believe there was no resurrection. 
And yet Jesus himself said, did you guys not see that? He's the God of the living. Isn't that crazy how the gospel can just go? And There's a lot of people that have heard the gospel numbers and numbers of times, and they continue to resist. They'd have to change their way of thinking. God help them. God help them. His deity is amazing. I mean, I was amazed last, last time we were together that the Pharisees, they, they have this super, if he answers yes, we got him. If the answer is no, we got him. And he answered and they said, you got us. They asked, the Sadducees today asked a question to make Jesus look like a fool. Guess who walked away looking like a fool? The Sadducees. Jesus' deity is on trial and he full-heartedly walks away with all of the honors. Did you see something else? There's two other points I'd like to make. Now, Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He's the living Word. He's God incarnate. He's God in flesh. Do you see when he gets into, I wouldn't say an argument as such. There's nothing to argue, right? That's what's so cool about him. He just states it and ah, missed that one, right? Did you see it again today, his commitment to Scripture? You do err. Go back to the Scriptures. What does the Scripture say? That's why for us, all of the ammunition we need is not how smart we are, how well do we debate. You'll never convince someone to become a Christian on our own accord. You will never do it. If you do, it's not for the right reason. They'll just want to say, yeah, let me just say yes so you leave. I mean, that's sometimes what the deal. I, I just don't, I don't want to listen to you anymore. I'll just, what, what do you want me to say right now? And it doesn't mean anything. The Scripture, the Scripture saith, the Bible says. What does the Bible say? That's all that matters. And our Savior used that. Almost exclusively, what does the word say? Go back to the beginning. And the last one is the power of the resurrection. It's so fluid, so full. I, for, again, for me, it's a, it's, it's a deal killer. If there's no resurrection, I'm done. I got nothing. Christianity has nothing for me. That's why I could never be a Buddhist. I could never be an Islam. I could never be anything else because they didn't conquer the most important thing. I don't, you know, like the, the mega churches today. I want to talk about that for a little bit. See, they've really missed it. And I can name names, and you can just go to television, flip your channel on, whatever it is. I, you, name a name. I'm not going to do it because, I just, because then, I'm, then you're going to pick on that name. You know, there, there are men that are in the name of Christ, are driving Rolls Royces and jets flying around the world and have multi million dollars. I'm trying to figure out how that works. That's a Sadducee form, that's what they did. The megachurches that are just huge, cash-rich. Where does that fit? You cannot serve God and mammon or money. You can't do it. Did you see how pertinent this, this, this message is? Boom, right there in our face again. Look at the light and the money issues. Watch it. This week, I want you to really pay particular attention and when someone says that we have to live in the light or, you know, the, the light is going to take the place, I want to know what's at the end of that light. What's the message at the end of that light? Does it match reality? Does God in there somewhere? Does it really fit the model? Does the message fit? But I can't believe the attraction that we in the United States have right now to the ownership of money. It owns us. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money. Remember the rich young ruler? Remember that guy? Like, I was a little bit pompous, too, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. I've kept all the commandments. Done them all. Yeah. 
I'm going to Jesus. Yeah, I think Joe's shaking his head back. I think that's what Jesus said. Buddy, come on. Let's not lie. I, I mean, I'm the son of God. I know what you're... I, you remember back when you were six? Dude, you lied big time to your dad, right? He knows all that stuff, right? And he does it, though. This is, this is the same thing. Jesus is so good at this. The woman at the well. Why don't you go call your husband? Well, actually, I'm not... Yeah, I know you're not married. You've been married five times before. You know, he's just like... I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> really? <laughs> but you know what? Their ears start to perk. They're ready to listen. And that flew right out the window. Where was I? <laughs> what was I? What, what did I just say? Ah! Yeah. The affirmation of the resurrection is amazing. Precise. It really is. There's something about, it probably had to do with money. It's wealth, something there. I guess I wasn't supposed to remember it. Joe shook his head. And what, 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 what was it? What was the deal? What did he say about that? Rich, rich, man. rich man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's come back to him for a moment. Yep. So, yeah. It was, it was, it was right there. Boom. And so, you know, and Jesus said, you know what? Let me just press the button that really needs to be pushed right now. Okay. You can kid yourself around. You don't remember when you broke the law. That's okay. Because the one that really we're going to work on right now today, the one that really owns you, really has you. But here's the deal. I want you to sell all your stuff and you just give it to the poor. And the guy walked away. That was part of the commandment. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and thou shalt not covet, right? How much, how much wanting and yearning and lusting did he have? Isn't that great? Jesus, God just, and he, he does that in our own hearts. I've talked about that nudging thing, right? Uh, what are you thinking, Larry? Uh, should we talk about that a little more, right? Oh, really not right now. No, I think we should, right? Or that room that's got stuff in it that you don't... Uh, don't don't go in here. I'm still cleaning this. No, no, let God clean it, right? There's people who are trying to clean up their lives before they give their lives to Christ. No, don't do that. He can do all of it together. He knows what needs to be done. And that's my Jesus that right now, the affirmation of resurrection is made so clear. These few verses right here are so dynamite for us sitting here today. So dynamite. It depicts everything that's going on in our culture... And the affirmation of the resurrection is just living large. It's living large. And we are His. We trust Him by faith. What a message we have. I want to go to two more verses, and we'll just finish right here. Um, in John chapter 5, this was early on. See, they knew He would speak to the resurrection. They were just trying to make Him a fool in the seven brother stint. But John chapter 5, He talked about the resurrection of life. <clears throat> Um, he had healed a man, and he's engaged in a conversation, but I have to, uh, I, I'm gonna, I think we're going to start uh, verse 25, John chapter 5, verse 25. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, when he says verily, pay attention, this is, this is the real deal. I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You see, there is a resurrection coming, and there are two possibilities, and two only. There's a resurrection of life, those that have trusted Christ as Savior. Those that have not trusted Christ as Savior 
which means they haven't got it fixed. Sin is still their largest problem. The wages of sin is death. And eternal death, eternal, and death is separation. Eternal death is eternal separation from God. What did we say about evil? Evil is the absence of good, is the absence of God. That's what hell will be. Absolute darkness and absence from all that is God or is good. I can't even imagine. And it's real. There's Jesus saying it again. One more verse, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. And here we go. We will close up. Philippians chapter 3. And take a look at verse 20. Philippians 3.20. Philippians 3.20. For our conversation or our citizenship. Some of you might have it in your version. uh, We are citizens in heaven. That's, that's interesting, too. We're kind of, once you become a Christian, when you've trusted Christ as Savior, you're kind of just wandering through this planet. You know, you may live in Sheridan. You may live in Twin Bridges. You may live in Whitehall. You may live in Butte. You may live in Dillon. But your citizenship, your papers, if you will, of where you really belong is heaven. Isn't that cool? I love that verse. For your conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Aren't those a couple of special verses? Unbelievable. Jesus. Now next week, Lord willing, we come back. And there's one more. We got the Pharisees. They got trounced. The Sadducees were. They were. They wanted Jesus to look like a fool. They. I bet you they were just. <laughs> you know, multitudes heard it and were astonished because you know what? Oh, I can see this one coming. Here's the seven brothers story again. We've heard this one before. The Pharisees have failed miserably. What's Jesus going to do with it? Hammer it home next week. We're actually going to have one guy, a scribe that listened to that, he said, that was a fantastic answer. That's what actually what he says. And he said, now I want to talk to you about commandments. So we're going to look at the third group that's trying to take Jesus out. We'll look at them next week. Have you, have you guys enjoyed this study? Yeah. Man, it's fantastic, isn't it? To just see how Jesus literally was, he, he was in charge at every single moment, even though, you know what? I was going to say the bank account in Jerusalem. There were no banks in Jerusalem per se. But you know what? He didn't have any money. He said, I don't have a house. You know? He didn't have everything that we as Americans cling to. And yet, he was fully and completely in charge. He came. The thing that cost him the most, I said this last week at the fairgrounds, and it's so important. You look at all the things that he had power over, from demons to disease to death, you name it. He could create food out of nothing. It was amazing. But in all of that, he just spoke. He just spoke. There was a woman, the woman that had that, uh, you know, that hemorrhage for what, um, how many years? Forever. It was long, not forever. 12 years. There you go. For 12 years, and she just touched the hem, and healing went out of him. What did that cost him? Nothing. That's how powerful he was. But you know what? The thing that cost him everything is the reason he came, and he literally had to give the most excruciating death known to mankind, being nailed to a cross. And he did it willingly. It was sin that put him there. And it was sin that was destroyed. The wages of sin is death, and no longer do you have to be in fear to sin. Yes, there's a physical death awaiting us potentially. In most cases, all of us probably in this room will will die physically. But I will have to say that we are moving along the rapid pace. The rapture probably is not very far away. 
we as a, as a world now are adhering, and I'm saying, again, the common populace is, is adhering to wanting someone to fix stuff, and we will give you anything. There's, there's a younger generation right now will give away any freedom that they even think they have to get some sense of entitlement. Just, just give, me some, give, give me safety. Uh, climate change. Can you believe that whole thing? They, I mean, they, they've got, got them sucked in. And that Antichrist, that one will come on the board here. He's not far away. The spirit of Antichrist is well amongst us. It's well amongst us. So the point of the matter is, we may die physically, but that's just a quick, quick split second, and you're in the arms of Jesus Christ. I can't wait. I literally cannot wait. But in the meantime, let's not be lazy. Let's get on with it. Let's get, if there's ever a time for Christians to be aggressive, it's right now. Tell the world about Jesus. You know, and, and, and again, I, I want to just close with this. There's so many, and Christians get caught. I do too as well. I mean, I love my country. You know, there's, there's friends that I've lost that have given their lives for freedoms that I enjoy. And, and you do too. But the answer is still not anything about America. It's not anything about politics. It's not anything about any politician. It's not about any man or woman accepting Jesus Christ, period. Jesus Christ did not get into politics. He did not get into wealth. He did not get into power. He did not get into anything in the sense of really how the world was run and, and, and managed in that day. It's the same today. If he came today, he would not care about any of those issues. He would still care about men and women's hearts. That's what we need to spend our time doing. Okay, questions or comments? Amazing short verses. A lot of stuff there, wasn't there? Yeah. A lot of stuff. Man, a lot of you guys, you guys won't even be able to read all the stuff I gave you to, for homework, right? Yeah. And somebody's, what homework? <laughs> what was that? I was talking too much, wasn't there's I? A lot of there's a lot of stuff. One thing, and, and again, I, I, I know I say this constantly, but, but it's amazing. You know, people say the Bible's old and it's outdated. Oh, no. You know, take a look at these verses that we read today. I mean, I can li- I could, we can line the world up right there, right there. They're trying to take Jesus Christ out, and it's the ones that are in power, the ones that under the guise of religion. That was the one group, and I'm, I'm grouping them together, that Jesus called snakes and vipers. You, know, you don't really make friends. You, viper you. That's probably not going to make a friendship. But he didn't care because that's what was standing in the way of a relationship between the people, the common people and God. It's the same today. Religion for what it is, that's men reaching up to God is in the way of God reaching down to man. It's the same deal. It's amazing to me the pertinence of where we are. That scripture just speaks to me just loudly today. And again, I give a lot of thought to the sense of dark and light. Satan has control of both in, in, in its realm. I don't, let me rephrase that. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That's the true light. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Satan has his own light. There are people that are trapped in religion today because of light that they supposedly saw this shining angel of light, and that may have conjured up a cult to you today. I'm telling you, it's around us today like we've never seen before. Okay, I'm going to be quiet. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your vision. We need your discretion. We need all of those things, Father, as we put on. It just reminded me, Ephesians chapter 6. Help us put on the whole armor of God. 
Oh, Father, we need that shield of faith to take those fiery darts that Satan is hurling at us, that they would be vanquished and extinguished. The belt of truth, it holds everything together. That's the part that Satan continually will chip away at, to take the belt of truth away, because it all falls off. It all falls off without truth. But, Father, may we also be very, very wise in discerning, just sometimes hearing the right words or people affiliating themselves with situations that maybe even be biblical, Father. May we look carefully at the end, at the fine print. Who's being glorified? Who's getting the credit? Who's literally being exonerated? Father, I know that you are the author and finisher of our faith. As we look to Jesus Christ, that one that did that, the one that said it is finished on the cross, that literally allowed us then, that it was just the end of the beginning, and here we are, free from the penalty of sin, and now, Father, help us to break the power of sin every single day in our walk with you, moment by moment, day by day, that walk of sanctification, being set apart for you, Father. It'll take your strength, your power, not us. May we yield to you every second of every day. When we fail, Father, may we get right back up. May we rejoin by confessing that sin that's allowed us or has made us stumble and falter. You're there quickly to pick us up, to refresh us. Jesus is our defense attorney. As, as Satan will accuse us, he's accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Jesus Christ can say with confidence, no, he's one of mine. I paid for that sin. I paid for that sin. It was paid in full. He's a work in progress. I'm continuing to chip away. I'm continuing to make him just a little bit more like Jesus. Thank you, Father, for all the blessings, the gifts that you've given to us. We don't deserve any of it. Your mercy and your rich grace is beyond measure, beyond words. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Amen.